0: Today, we're going to talk about progression and loot design. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the 12th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. Today's episode is on progression and loot design. I'm your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zacavelli underscore. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the same handle. And we have a Discord uh, open to everyone. You can find the invite link in the show notes. Um, the Discord's really grown, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of the community we have there. We have a technical help section if you need help uh, with like a code thing or a game engine thing. We have uh, guides, we have a general chat. We just got done talking about the validity of a game dev career. And of course we do the game dev challenge there. And speaking of the game dev challenge, why don't we uh, get into it? So last episode's challenge was to design a physics-based mechanic for a video game and I was really looking for submissions that backed up their idea with math. Um, if you remember, last episode was about physics, and I said one of the key things is to understand the physics formulas that are kind of governing the actions that happen in your game. And remember, you don't have to know them to, like, the point that a physicist would. You just got to know, like, the fifth grade version of it. So, um, this is winner, uh, comes from their submission on Discord, uh, and it comes from the user Elliot. He says, For the Game Dev Challenge, I call upon Newton's Law of Universal Gravitation. I've always been amazed at the visualizations that are possible by applying this equation. My game idea is a 2D multiplayer game where each player controls a massive star and tries to capture smaller floating bodies in space to bring them into a stable orbit. The goal is to build the largest stable solar system. When objects collide or collapse into a star, they are destroyed. Players can slingshot objects to neighbor solar systems to wreak havoc. Or wreck havoc. Is the phrase wreak havoc or wreck havoc? Anyways, the law of universal gravitation governs all interactions. Game rounds are timed. The largest solar system at the end of each round wins. Then he's posted a screenshot of um, the universal gravitation law. So I really like this idea. One because um, it's well supported, and honestly, the law of gravitation sounds, you know, really fancy, but it's it's really not that many variables, and so it would be super easy to um, implement this. And he's right; it can make for some really really cool visualizations. I don't know. I've, I've always thought like astronomy and planets and solar systems and stuff already look really cool. And they make such good themes, I guess, for video games. Um, so yeah, from a uh, graphics and aesthetic point, I think this could be really cool. But also, it's a really interesting game design, right? Because it kind of has that thing where like, your health is also your ammo, if you know what I mean. That's kind of a theme that comes up in games sometimes. Um, But by this, I mean, if you send a, let's say a planet out of your solar system to crash into someone else's, hopefully you're knocking mass out of the other person's uh, solar system. But there's like a cost benefit analysis you got to do, right? Because your score is based on how big your solar system is. So if you're using all your planets as ammo, then you're not really building your solar system. Hopefully you're destroying the other persons. But if the other person is good enough at the game, they might be able to catch your planets. You know what I mean? So it has an interesting like uh, risk-reward type situation. And now that I say that, it could be really cool if you could slingshot like a planet back at the person who threw it at you because it like the planet might only partially enter your orbit and so it goes around like half the circle and then you let it back out of your orbit and send it back at the person who threw it at you that'd be pretty cool so yeah I really like this idea not only from the um, kind of visual side but also from the game mechanic side and it's well supported by an equation that would be easy to implement I think so this idea is pretty uh, well thought out and is kind of uh, airtight from all aspects, as far as I can see. So, congrats to Elliot on the Discord um, for winning last week's or last episode's game dev challenge. So, for the next game dev challenge, and remember, um, all the submissions go through the Discord. So you'll have to join the Discord to send in your submissions. And I suppose if you're really like opposed to getting Discord or whatever, you could. Send me a uh send me a DM on Twitter. That's at underscore Zaccavilli underscore and um yeah I can probably make it work from there if you don't want to get Discord. But anyways, the next jam, I want you to design a piece of loot complete with stats, a sprite, and maybe some story fluff. So what I had in mind for this was um like the classic looting games like uh Diablo 2 for instance. Those sort of ARPG games. And usually how the loot is displayed is you have like a a sprite kind of in a border. So imagine like a picture. And then underneath it you have a description with all the stats. And then if it's like a really cool sword or whatever, it'll have a little blurb. It'll be something like a character in the world said about it. Like this sword is made out of a dragon's tooth or something like that. So yeah, that's the kind of format I'm picturing in my mind, but feel free to, like, run crazy with it, and as long as it fits the criteria of it's a piece of loot with a sprite, stats, and some story behind it, um, I'll consider it. So with that, let's uh, get into the body of the episode. So today's episode is about progression and loot design. And really those things go hand in hand, and I'll explain why in a second. Progression actually comes in a lot of forms in video games, if you think about it. But today we're going to focus on the two that I think most people associate when they hear the word progression. So these two forms are character progression and item progression. It's important to know, though, that these are only um, two gears of the whole progression machine. For instance, you have stuff like player progression. And I know it's confusing player progression, character progression. Player progression to me is like how good the actual person playing the game gets. You know, at first they're not going to be very good at the game, but they're going to progress as they get more experience. Not like in-game experience, but like their actual skill at the game experience. And so that's a form of progression. And like the hand-in-hand thing with that is level progression, right? You start with the easy levels and then as you progress through the game your levels get harder and harder and add new features and new obstacles and hopefully the player is progressing so that they can handle the features and obstacles and yeah so that's how those kind of gears mess together but really just keep in mind that well I'm only going to talk about these two character and item progressions today at length uh, I'll explain how some of the other forms complement them and uh, just know that they're all important but It's the two that we're gonna talk about today. So first though, we gotta understand what progression's role is in video games. And the point of progression is to offer small goals and reward players for small goals so that they keep like a steady pace progressing through the games. And you wanna keep these goals kinda smaller because um, it's a really good way to break up one big goal. If you don't break up the main goal, into smaller goals then it can be really daunting for a player to jump in and see how far they have to go but if you make it kind of a short-term thing you know every time they get on and play they'll have a short-term goal to try and achieve. A good example of this is in a different kind of progression that we haven't talked about yet but it's narrative progression right that's how the story moves along. Um, If you just had like the start of the story and the end of the story with no in-between parts It wouldn't really work that well, but the way you tell a story, the way you narratively progress is that you break up the overarching plot into a bunch of little tiny uh, subplots, sort of. And so you want to do this with all forms of progression, and it usually takes form in the sort of way as a task and a reward, and here's like one of the things that ...is a mistake that I see in like even like AAA games and, you know, games with professional game designers. Which is, you always want it to be a task and reward relationship. Sometimes you'll see a game, um, I guess you could call it a task and reward, but what they'll reward you with is just more tasks. So then it just becomes like a task into more tasks into more tasks. And although, like with all rules that I tell you guys, um, you know, rules are made to be broken... So maybe there are games where this kind of dynamic works. But most of the time I feel like tasks that turn into more tasks that turn into more tasks just become really like taxing on the player. Like I don't think it really compels them to play more. I think it just like if you're OCD, (laughs) you're like never going to run out of stuff to do. But it's almost like torture. It's not like you want to do it. It's just that you want the check marks all in there. So yeah. Yeah try not to reward uh, people with more tasks or goals or even, you know, I've got nothing against achievements, but if you have 10,000 achievements with no purpose on some of them other than, you know, I can understand achievements for like challenges, but achievements like see every blade of grass in the world, you know, it's, it's like a novelty thing, but to me, it's just really a way to pad out the game a little bit longer. Which, if there's no purpose into padding it out longer, then I don't think it's a good idea. And so yeah, you always want to offer a reward. And so now we're going to get into the discussion um, of the idea of a Skinner box. And there's probably someone listening who has like a degree in psychology or knows a little bit about psychology and knows about the Skinner box idea... Um, And if you are that person, please go into the Discord and fix the butchering (laughs) I'm about to do uh, about the topic. But basically, um, this guy Skinner, he was like back in the era of psychology when they were like teaching dogs to salivate when you rang a bell because they associated it with food. And so I don't think he was the guy who discovered that, but I think he was in like that era of psychology. And he did a lot of research on compulsion, like the stuff that compels you to do something. And he invented this box where, I think it was like a bird or something, every time he'd touch a button, he'd feed it food or like a treat. And he discovered that if you just keep giving them treats over every every time, like one button press equals one treat, eventually the reward won't be worth it to them. And so they'll stop pressing the button. But if you gave them a reward maybe on like a random amount of button presses like a reasonable amount you know maybe one reward for every i don't know 7 to 15 button presses that would actually make them press the button in the long term for a lot longer time and so this kind of teaches us that um you don't want to overdo it with the rewards because sooner or later the rewards are kind of lose their value, right? Like, if you're getting rewards for everything, then you're kind of getting rewards for nothing, if, if that makes sense. So you want to find that balance where the player feels like their rewards are earned, basically. Um, but there is sort of a darker side to the Skinner box, and that's that, of course, with this idea, um, you might think about how casinos keep people playing. And There's a difference between addiction and being compelled to do something, Um, and this is where if someone knows more about psychology than I do, please come and explain it. But basically, um, you can use this idea of a Skinner box to compel someone to play a game, even if they don't really like playing it or even having fun. They're just kind of doing it just for this um, compulsion loop. And you see this exploited a lot with mobile games. And to be totally fair and truthful, I was once a mobile game developer, and I definitely used these sort of Skinner box techniques to try and keep people playing my game for a longer amount of time. And um, once I started making, like, treating indie games as art and not just, you know, like... Not that mobile games aren't art or not as good as indie games or... I'm not trying to start that flame more, but you know the kind of mobile games I'm talking about. The kind that there's not really much thought put into the gameplay other than how do we get someone hooked in just playing it and clicking on the most amount of ads. And I realized that basically with a Skinner box, you're just like exploiting someone's sort of human nature to do something that they don't really even want to do maybe that's making it sound a little bit more darker than it is. But I think we've all had or maybe played mobile games where you look back and you're like, man, that was kind of a waste of time. I don't know why I played that for so long. But now you know that you might have been being manipulated by sort of a Skinner box design. So I would advise you that although the Skinner box does work, Sooner or later, people figure it out, and then they kind of almost have a like bad feeling associated with your game. And so I guess the lesson to learn from this is that don't have your rewards feel vapid. Because in all of these mobile game things, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but the rewards really aren't that great. If you think about it, it's kind of like the tasks lead to more tasks argument. Um, the rewards just lead you to doing more tasks, which lead to more rewards, which lead to more tasks. And you soon find out that the rewards aren't really even worth it. They're just something that makes you do tasks faster, so you get more rewards. And so you can see how it just becomes a loop of, like, compulsion. And it's something that you can easily get stuck in. So I'll talk about this a little bit more, but what we want to do to avoid this is to make sure that your rewards are worth it. They don't always have to be some like grand thing, but they just should be satisfying so that when someone looks back at your game and the time they put into it, they don't feel like they wasted precious time of their life and they feel satisfied. So let's get into the forms of progression we're gonna talk about today. Um, Let's start with character progression. And this is going to have a lot of overlap, the RPG class design episode. So go back and listen to that for like a refresher. But if you don't have the time, I'll sum it up for you real quick. Um, Remember in the RPG class design episode, we talked about how flexibility in classes, um, especially in the progression, like their skill trees and passives and stuff like that. You want to make them um, feel unique, but you also want them to be able to solve all the game's obstacles. So, for instance, healing classes are the best at healing, and that's why they are unique. No other class can heal as good as them. But if you make them only do healing, then for, like, the rest of the game, like the parts where you do damage, um, they're just kind of sitting around twiddling their thumbs. So you also want them to be able to fight. And so you remember a big part of the RPG class design was their progression trees, um, and that's the sort of... Skills they have that they can unlock that help sort of customize their player style. And so, character progression is the in game system that represents your character getting stronger or more proficient at something. Um, Like I said, it's usually accompanied by some sort of skill tree or a passive tree. Um, The difference between those two a skill tree is like an ability that your character actually does, a passive is like um, you get a 5% bonus to damage or your fire attacks do, like, set the opponent on fire or something like that. And generally, these kind of trees can be broken up into sort of hard and soft progression systems. A soft progression system is one that's kind of more attributed to, like, classic JRPGs. um, And you can see it in games that want to adapt things from rpgs but not go like fully in on rpgs um and so a soft progression system is something like the amount of health you get per level is already predetermined um so at level one you get a five percent boost at level 10 you get a five percent boost to health and maybe like a one to strength whereas a hard progression system would be one where you are picking those numbers so Maybe in a hard progression system you get 10 points for every level and then you pick where those 10 points go. So you might put 5 into strength and 5 into health and the next time you might put 5 into intelligence or something like that. Personally, and this is a a subjective thought, um, I don't really like linear soft stat progression. Um, I think it's kind of dated and it removes player choice. I can see why they used to do it in the old school like JRPGs. Because it definitely can be overwhelming to know, like, where should I be putting all these points? It can even be, like, a point of anxiety. Like, if you don't know anything about the game and then you're presented with this, like, you have to define your own character. Um, sometimes you just want to, like, go for a ride and let the game decide what how the character is going to progress. So I can see why it would be used. Um, I just personally, when I play games, I like to have a lot of choice and... Sort of customization. So that's why I mean like branching progression is a little bit more interesting, the kind where you kind of choose where your points go. Um, But remember, it's not as beginner friendly. And I suppose this sort of leads to like a philosophical question about is more freedom good even though you can harm yourself? Because yeah, you might have the freedom to choose where your points go, but if you're a like fighting character but you're putting all your points into intelligence, you know, you might not fit the role as good as someone who might put all their points into strength. So I I generally believe that freedom of choice is better, but I do acknowledge that this may allow, especially, um, people who are not as informed about the genre or how the game systems work, you know, they might put themselves in a tough position because they didn't understand the game systems before they made those choices. So that brings me to another point, um, With character progression, you usually want some way to reset it. This is to avoid that exact problem I was just saying where sometimes your players are just gonna make the wrong decisions um, and when they realize they've really screwed themselves it can be really kind of upsetting to have put all this time into a character and then realize they made a mistake. You usually want some way to reset it. Just give them all their points back and let them rebuild their character. Now the problem with that is that if you let them reset it too much then, what's the point of even having the tree, right? What's the point of even making those choices? Because the choices are way less impactful if you can just, if they have no consequence, if you can just keep resetting and then changing the choices. Um, maybe for this boss, you want a lot of health, so you pick a bunch of health points, but then the next boss, you want a lot of damage, so then you just would reset your character and do damage. And although in some game designs that might work, I just like having, um, more choices but also having the choices actually be impactful if that makes sense. Like the freedom of choice is good but it's like doubly good when your choices also really matter and I think if you just let your character be reset a bunch of times then your choices don't really have any weight. So the best way to think about this I think is to know your audience and genre first and then kind of decide where you stand on that philosophical question based on that. If you're making a hardcore RPG, then you, know, you probably want a lot of choice with a lot of impactful choices. But if you're making a children's game, then you might want to have like a soft linear stat progression and maybe kind of help guide them and maybe even in some cases decide for them. So with that, let's move on to item progression. Item progression to me is very similar to character progression. And I could even see the argument that they're the same thing. Um, The way that I think about it, though, is that if the character progression is specific to, like, their class or their job or who they are as a character, the item is kind of like a general progression that everyone has access to. For example, two different classes uh, might make use of the same sword, so that that one sword can be a form of progression for two different classes. And generally, you see, like, examples of item progression in loot-heavy games, but I would argue that you can see, um, like, really simple item progression, sort of mixed with level progression in games with more simple loot, like, um, Zelda, for instance. Specifically, the game I'm thinking of is, um, an Arena of time. Um, the hookshot, that's an example of an item. Of course, there's only one hookshot, it's not like you're opening chests with all sorts of different things you really it's really just one item but it is a form of progression and it is an item so in that case it's item progression and I think it actually really shows um, what I was saying earlier about making sure the reward is worth it the hookshot in Ocarina of Time like opens up this whole new mechanic for the game kinda allows you to see the game in a whole new way And so that's a really good example of how the reward is worth it, and the task for getting it kind of matches up with the quality of the reward that you get out of it. Also, when talking about different kinds of item progression, if you think about it, survival games are mostly item progression. In some cases, that's the only form of progression in the game. When I say survival games, I mean games like Minecraft, Rust, Ark Survival Evolved, trying to think I'm sure I'm missing a few but basically games in that genre where you know you start by building a wood house and then you get metal tools and then you can build a stone house and so on and so forth if you think about it the progression in that game is just based on what items you have and you're constantly just trying to get better items and the reward is worth the task in that because each time you get better items then you can go look for Better materials that leads you to be able to do, like, new kinds of construction. You know, there's only so much you can do with a wood shack, but once you unlock stone, then you can start building, like, fancier steps, um, and your creativity opens up a little bit. And that's that's quite a reward if you think about it. Um, increasing someone's creativity. I mean, imagine if you could do that in real life, if you could just, like, take some medicine and be more creative. That's basically what you're doing in Minecraft, for instance. So in that case, I think the task is worth the reward. And a thought just kind of came into my head (laughs) while I said that. Um, We were talking about uh, taking medicine to increase your creativity. I suppose it's kind of like steroids for athletes. And how I just said that in Minecraft, you have to go put in the work to get your creativity open like you have to go mine the stone so that you can build the cool stone tower game dev is kind of like that like to be more creative and make cooler video games you have to like put in your time on developing your video game making skills so yeah that was just a tangent that came into my head but yeah I think that kind of idea though shows how much the reward in Minecraft is worth it. It's not just a task that leads to more tasks, which it might initially seem like, right? It seems like, go gather this so you can get better tools to gather more, to get better tools to gather more. It kind of has that feedback loop, but if you look a little bit deeper, it's really go gather tools so that you can build and let your creativity flow better, And then you can do that again to have like even more, like once you get past stone, I can't remember in Minecraft, I think there's, is there metal buildings or diamond or? Anyways, you can go build like the coolest structures when you've worked hard for the cool materials like gold and lapis lazuli and the um, glass. So yeah, I think that's a good example of a reward that's worth it, sort of increasing your creative tools based on how much work you've put in collecting the materials for your creations so let's jump back over though to loot heavy games Um, if you remember this is stuff like borderlands destiny diablo world of warcraft things where there's a lot of loot usually it's Got an element of randomly generated mixed with handcrafted loot. And loot-heavy games offer a lot of playstyle, customization, and um, synergy with the um, sort of character progression. And that's the reward in this case. Right? You're seeking further customization of your character um, in the way they play by getting better items that more fit your sort of playstyle. So in Diablo, if you like to attack a lot and have fast attacks... Maybe you want two daggers, and so you're constantly looking for the dagger loot. But maybe you are actually a barbarian with a lot of health, so you're looking for, like, the cool armors, the, you know, big bulky armors, and that's kind of helping your play a style that you like to play. And I said earlier that the loot systems in these games kind of rely on a randomly generated element. This kind of goes for all randomly generated content in video games, but especially in loot, make sure that you think out the constraints of your random generation. So let's say that you have a sword and the damage on it is a random number between 1 and 100. And let's just say for now that all the numbers are equally likely. If you only make the monsters in your game have a maximum health of 80, for instance, then what's the difference between... The swords eighty through a hundred, and also, do you want twenty percent of your swords to one-shot every monster in the game? So I know that sounds like a simple thing, but it's a thing that gets messed up a lot. Um, make sure that the constraints of your random generation fit within the balance of your game. So maybe if you know that the max health of the strongest monster in your game is eighty, maybe only make the sword a random number between ten and 30 um and that's not just for the higher constraints too let's think about the lower constraints i mean with the first example one through a hundred there's a one in ten of those swords are going to be doing damage between one and ten which is basically nothing what's the difference between a sword that does one damage per hit and a sword that does three damage per hit why would you even you know they basically feel the exact same so you remember uh when i said that I said that each sword was statistically equally likely, right? They all have a one out of a hundred chance. The two damage sword has the same chance as being dropped as the eighty damage sword. Usually, when you're generating um, randomly generated loot, or at least the way I like to do it, is I like to use a bell curve. And not to get too crazy into the statistics, statistics sometimes like really messes with my head. Um, because sometimes the numbers are not intuitive, or like the way statistics work are not intuitive. But basically, you want to use what's called a bell curve, or a normal distribution. And this makes sure that most of the loot that's generated will be average. And you'll still have rarer stuff, but it'll actually feel rare because of the way that the stats are distributed. So I think it's like... uh, How does a bell curve... I think it's like um, something like two-thirds of all the swords, if you generated the stats to a normal distribution, two-thirds of all the swords would have what's called in within one standard deviation of the middle number. So basically, if your sword's middle damage is 50, then two-thirds of all the swords will be somewhere around there. And then it gets lower and lower and lower. But as you get lower, the actual stats will get more rare. So maybe you get... Um, out to like three standard deviations where the percentage of that happening is really low but the actual damage or the sort of deviation from the norm will be really high. Now you could have a negative standard deviation where the it could be like a really rare um, in terms of dropping but the damage is really low but you can easily negate that by just making the difference the absolute value. So basically if the damage is negative you got a really rare generation and the damage was like negative 100 you could just take the absolute value of that which is basically a number's distance from zero. So negative 100 becomes positive 100 and a positive 100 would stay a positive 100 because an absolute value is just the measurement of the a number's distance from zero. And you can't be a negative distance away from zero if that makes sense. So yeah, I know I said I wouldn't go super into the math of the statistics because it is hard to um, think about, especially if you're not a math person, and then I just went ahead and went into the math. So I'm sorry about that. I hope you're not falling asleep. But basically, you want to think about, to sum it all up, you want to think about how your items are randomly generated. You do not want to just make it between 0 and 100 and just let the gods decide because you're going to end up with a really weird, broken, unbalanced generation system. So remember that I said that a lot of these games combine randomly generated loot with handcrafted loot. So we already talked about the randomly generated stuff, let's talk about the handcrafted stuff. So handcrafted loot is usually um, the more rare stuff, although it doesn't always have to be um, end game loot. So you can have good, sort of rare, early and mid-game handcrafted loot, um, and actually, you probably want that, because most people are chasing the handcrafted loot. It's the most exciting loot, um, for the reasons I'm about to say. But basically, you don't want to relegate that to only the end game because the truth is, most of your players aren't going to make it to the end game. So you want to make sure that they can experience, like, the best loot earlier in the game. And I'm not saying give them endgame loot early in the game. I'm saying handcraft rare loot that's cool... That makes a big change, um, but handcraft it to like a lower level player. So maybe you have really rare loot that you can encounter before you're level 10, and that will be helpful to the player until they get to level 20. And then it's kind of like, okay, the randomly generated stuff is as good as this thing I got when I was level 10, so now it's time to move on. So for handcrafted loot, um, the way to make them really feel unique and make it like a reward worth getting is I like to make it break the rules that I've set up for my game. So let's just say we have a game where you get a super attack every 30 seconds and this is standard across all classes it's just one of the rules of the game. Every 30 seconds you can press a button and you do like a super awesome screen clearing attack. A good piece of handcrafted loot would be something that maybe breaks this rule. So if you get this item all of a sudden you can do one super attack every fifteen seconds and of course that might be really overpowered that was just a quick example i came up with but you can see how if you break the rules set up for the game that makes that item feel really special because there's nothing else in the game that lets you do that except for that one item and speaking of balance um... it can be hard to balance Loot, especially rare loot, because you will just end up getting less feedback about it. Loot really is an ongoing thing to balance. Um, of course, you can test as much as you can up front, right? You could just, hopefully, you have the dev tools to make a character and just give yourself all the really cool stuff um, and then play with it and see how good it actually is. And you can do lots of playtesting like that. But once you get all these, you know, chances are you're going to have a bunch of unique loot and then you got the randomly generated element thrown in there. So there's nearly infinite amount of combinations. And because you have so many combinations of loot, right, like a really good sword mixed with a really good shield uh, might be really broken. And you wouldn't necessarily find that because maybe the shield was randomly generated. And it's hard to test something that's randomly generated. So just know that with lots of different kinds of loot and the randomly generated element. um, If you have a lot of players, they're going to find broken synergies. And synergies kind of brings me into another point. Um, Item progression can be a good way to synergize with character progression. And I think an interesting way to do loot is allow it to synergize with other pieces of loot and a character. So when you're designing loot, make sure you consider how it's going to be used by the characters and how it's going to be used with other items. And try to make it so that um, if you use certain items, you get, you know, that even furthers the customization and even furthers the sort of unique rule-breaking thing about the item. You can really make an experience um, more than the sum of its parts with cool item and character synergies. And now I want to get into the most important part of item progression and loot. And that is the fact that the loot has got to look cool. (laughs) and that's that's only a, a half joke um if you're gonna make epic loot it better look epic that's a whole part of the reward that we were talking about earlier and it kind of plays into the idea of another form of progression which is visual progression. Especially in multiplayer games you want to look like you have progressed as much as you really have. Basically you want to flex on the other players and say like look at all look at how cool I look look at all this cool stuff I have. In World of Warcraft for instance when you walk into a city like you know who the lower level players are and who the higher level players are just based on what they're wearing. Half the time the loot I pick (laughs) in game like this is just what looks cool and not necessarily what's best for my character. But the whole point of loot for some people is just to look cooler than other players. And so just know that how the loot looks and sort of the visual progression has to be just as cool as the game mechanics that the loot offers. So if it's a super awesome weapon it better also look super awesome. And I kind of want to jump over to back to visual progression real quick um visual progression can be a cool in its own way doesn't always have to be associated with the player or the character rather um but it's a cool way to add like small details and when I say it doesn't have to be associated with the player or the character I mean the player and character's progression but here's here's a good example there are some games that add scars to the character for like every time they've died and so this is kind of a cool nod and kind of a small detail that I suppose when you think about it actually is tied to the player's progression, right? Because the better the player gets, the less scars they're going to have on their body. But the scars are kind of permanent, right? So it kind of shows, maybe it does show your character progression, your player progression. It shows how far you've come. Another good example, and this maybe is more along the lines of something that not necessarily affects gameplay. But uh, in one of the GTAs, if you eat too much, then you actually get fat. Like, the model of your player changes and you become really fat. And I can't remember if this has like gameplay changes, like you're slower or whatever, but yeah, I think this is just another one of those um, gears like I was talking about in the progression machine that is almost like its own small task and reward. And it kind of offers the players some visual details so that they can see um, their own progression. Even if that progression, (laughs) in some cases as the examples I showed you, are actually um, reminders of maybe the wrong tasks. Or sort of a uh, lack of progression. So I know we talked about a lot. I'm just going to quickly summarize it up for everyone. Um, Basically, progression should be made up with small tasks and rewards. And remember that you want the rewards to be meaningful, but they don't always have to be grand. And the two types of progression we talked about in this episode are character progression and item progression. Character progression should offer uh, further flexibility and customization with how the character works and um, the player's preferred playstyle. Well, item progression should offer synergies and style. And remember that there are other forms of progression and... Really, they should all supplement each other, uh, including the two we talked about today. Um, An example of this is level progression. Um, Your levels should be getting harder as your character progression goes up. Basically, the stronger your character gets, the more your character should be challenged. And um, visual progression should coincide with item progression. The better your items are, the cooler you should look. So big picture the progression should be the reason that your player keeps coming back to the game kind of goes hand in hand with the idea that you want to evoke a feeling like a compelling feeling and hopefully between the feeling that's combe- compelling them to play and the progression that compels them to keep doing those tasks and rewards hopefully if you do it right if you make the rewards meaningful enough Someone's going to look back at your game with fondness and be happy with the time that they spend with it. So with that, I think I'm going to uh, end the episode. Remember, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli, underscore, same handle on Instagram. Come check out our Discord, and please tell me more about the Skinner Box Theory. Um, I'm sure I butchered it earlier. Don't forget to... um, Make an item for the game dev challenge. Uh, Remember, I'm looking for a sprite, maybe some game stats, and then a little bit of, like, story fluff to go along with the item. So thank you for listening. Um, I have been Zachavelli. Uncle Iroh says, Pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. And I'll see you guys next time.